What is the starting point of the gospel? When we're sharing the gospel with someone, where do we begin? Do we start by talking about a person's sins? Do we start with God's love and plan for their life? Or do we start somewhere different? Welcome to the Theology For You podcast, where we believe that a right understanding of God's word is for your good and true worship of God. If you're just joining us, I'm Joey, and I'd love to encourage you to share this with a friend. If we've helped you to grow in your faith and understanding of God in this episode or any other episode, maybe send your friend a text or DM on Instagram all about this podcast. It would mean the world to us if you would share this with the other believers in your life, those who want to grow in their faith and understanding of God and His Word. This is our first lesson in a series, Teaching on the Gospel, helping you to grow in your faith and understanding of the gospel, and also to equip you with the ability to share the gospel with others. In this first lesson, which was previously recorded for our church, our pastor, Pastor Craig, talks about the importance of starting a gospel presentation in the right place. He'll be referencing Will Metzger's book, Tell the Truth, and the Come Home Gospel Presentation found in the book, which we're using as our guide for this series. Now, over to Pastor Craig. Modern day evangelism immediately Veers off course because modern day evangelism consistently starts in the wrong place. And if you start in the wrong place, you have a pretty good chance of arriving at the wrong destination. So when we think about evangelism, there are really two options. There are two beginning possibilities. One, you can begin with man or you can begin with God. Now, if you've had any kind of evangelistic training in the past, or if you've seen many tracks, this will sound pretty familiar to you. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay, we've heard that, right? We may have even said that to somebody. But if we take the time to think through that statement, I think pretty quickly it becomes apparent that this opening evangelistic line starts in the wrong place and therefore holds the potential for ending up in the wrong place. Listen, God can use even our weakest, feeblest efforts in evangelism and bless them. But we want to make sure that we're doing our best to make sure that we're properly presenting the gospel. So let's think about this statement. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Where does that statement start? It begins with man. It doesn't start with God, does it? In fact, it's totally directed towards man. God loves you, and God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's almost like God's the bystander here, and this is really all about you. Will Mesker addresses this in the book. He said he, said he, he, he makes a clean distinction between God-centered evangelism and what he describes as me-centered evangelism. And he says this, me-centered evangelism contains some biblical truths, yet they're distorted, for error comes when truth is given out of context. So he goes on to say, we must be careful that we do not contradict the character of God in our witnessing. And he says, may the God to whom we witnessed be consistent with the God we worship. So in our evangelism, we need to stress a God of holiness 
not just a God who exists to give us good times and pleasant feelings. In other words, we want to give them a true biblical picture of God. All right, let's go through this chart real quick on page 87. The first part is, in me-centered evangelism, the point of contact with a non-Christian is love. We say, God loves you. But in God-centered evangelism, the point of contact with the non-Christian is creation. God made you. Now, we're, we're not up for discussion at this point, but you can see there's a world of difference in the implications between those two opening statements. It's, there's a, such a world of difference that it completely changes the tone of the presentation if you begin with God loves you or you begin with the fact that, uh, hey, God created you. Second, God's authority or ownership is blunted in me-centered evangelism, again, because it's all about the, the person that you're talking to. But in God-centered evangelism, God has ownership rights over your daily life and design, me-centered Love is God's chief attribute. God-centered, justice and love are equally important attributes of a holy God. Me-centered evangelism. God is impotent before the sinner's will. In God-centered evangelism, God is is able to empower the sinner's will. In me-centered evangelism, the persons of the Trinity have different goals when planning and accompanying salvation than when applying it. In God-centered, the person of the, the persons of the Trinity work in harmony. Salvation is designed, accomplished, and applied to the same people. And what's the conclusion of me-centered evangelism? God is a friend who will help you. And the implication is the sinner has something to offer God. So God is robbed of his glory. Just think about what we've been learning in Judges chapter 6 and 7. The whole point of the exercise there was to, for God to show his people that he's not going to share his glory with anyone else, and that he did not need their help. Well, if we approach evangelism with this me-centered approach, well, we come off saying, hey, God needs your help. You've got to cooperate with God if you're going to be a Christian. But the conclusion of God-centered evangelism is that God is a king who will save you. So therefore, the place that we must begin any presentation of the gospel is with God. As tempting as it is, to start with them, it is much easier to say to somebody, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, isn't it? But don't do that. Don't take, don't take the easy way out, okay? All right, so let's go through the three points here in the, the first section of who is God. First of all, God made everyone. Now, here's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind. Keep this in mind that God has placed a knowledge of his existence in the heart of every person. Therefore, whether they accept or not his existence at this point is irrelevant. Do not get into an argument over whether or not God exists. That's irrelevant at this point. God has given every person a conscience. And in evangelism... We are to speak to the conscience. Me-centered evangelism speaks to the heart. God-centered evangelism, we speak to the conscience. So, God made everyone. But let let me caution you about this. The goal is not to put them on the defensive. 
if we put them on the defensive, we will probably lose any opportunity we have to further the conversation. Uh, your goal is to get them to think. Your goal is to get them to engage their minds. That's what we want to do. Again, at this point, you're not trying to prove the existence of God. You're not dealing, you're not trying to answer the question of evolution. All right? Uh, again, that's irrelevant at this point. That's not what we're trying to do. You're just simply trying to unpack the question for them, who is God? And the first answer to that question is that God is the creator or that God made everyone. And there are all kinds of implications to that statement, but the primary implication is that God's our owner. Boy, that chafes us, doesn't it? And when you tell this to the unbelieving person, they're not going to like this. But again, you're speaking to the conscience. God has put a knowledge of himself within, within the soul of every man, so therefore you speak directly to it. And the scriptural basis for this is found in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. We won't take the time to read those verses. But let me point out a few things to you. In verse 24, I want you to notice where Paul started with these people. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. So what is Paul doing here? He is declaring God as creator. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it. Now notice, Paul's very careful. He just doesn't just say, well, God's the creator. God's the creator of the world. No, God's the creator of the world and everything in it. So therefore, his ownership extends not only to the world, but to every person in the world. Then Paul goes on to say, the God who made the world is also the Lord of heaven and earth. The word Lord here means ruler. It means one who commands. We need to let that sink in for just a moment because Paul immediately establishes two things. One, God is the creator. Two, God is Lord. He commands. He has authority. Now notice, Paul is not debating them, is he? He's simply speaking truth to their conscience. He's laser-focused. He knows what he needs to say, and that's what he does. Then notice what Paul says in verse 26. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So let's summarize what Paul's highlighting here. Remember, he's speaking to a group of unbelievers. So first, he says, God made the world and everything in it. So Paul identifies God as the creator, their creator. Second, Paul points out to them that the creator is Lord. He is the commander. He is their commander. Third, Paul points out that God determines where his creation lives and how long they live. So what's it, what is the picture here of God? God is a person of authority. God is a person of sovereignty. God is in absolute, complete control. So God explains to them that God is the creator, God is the commander, 
And God is the one who is the, the controller of their very life. So what should be their response? Verse 27, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their ways toward him and find him. In other words, Paul's saying the only rational, logical thing to do is to seek the one who created them, who commands them, and controls the details of their lives. Again, remember, you're not trying to convince them or debate them. You're speaking biblical truth directly to their conscience. So who is God? God is the creator. Number two, God is also a love giver. Now, most people will readily identify with this. God is love. And it's true, God is love. And because God is a God of love, he desires, as Will Metzger says, to be a loving father. And as a loving father, he wants a big family. And he actively adopts many into his spiritual family. Um, It's something that we have to keep in mind, though, that when we're talking to unbelievers, particularly today, many people will make the mistake of thinking that God is love only. It's not that it's just his dominant characteristic. It's his only characteristic. He's love. And so that shapes how they think that he's going to respond to them. They think God's love trumps all. Uh, Particularly God's love for them trumps everything else, including his law, his justice, and his righteousness, even his holiness. Yes, God's love is important. Absolutely it is. Yes, God is love, but that is not all God is. People hear or read God is love, and they think that's all that God is. We have to stress that he is more than that, much more than that. Which brings us to the third point, that God is a lawmaker. So, let's follow the argument logically. What gives God the right to be a lawmaker? We go back to point one. God is the creator. God owns us. God is the absolute authority over us. So therefore, if God made us, if God has the authority over us, then he has the right, not not just the ability, but he has the right to write a law the way that he sees fit. And we are in no position to argue with his law or to take offense at his law. And if God made us, God also knows the best way for us to live. And his law leads us to live what would be the best life for us. And so what what gives God the right to make laws for us? Again, back to point two. God is a love giver. Because God loves us, he wants the best for us, therefore he tells us how to live, and he tells us how to live through his law. So you can see there's a real logical consistency here to this very first point. Uh, You're not doing anything in abstract or theory. It, it, It all relates, and it's all important, okay? So what's the point? Since God made them, or God made you, if you're talking to this person, you belong to him, and you're acceptable to him to follow his instructions, for a relationship of love and life, okay? That's the first point in a nutshell. So you got four more to learn. But just keep in mind, this first concept is you're establishing the authority of God. And once you establish the authority of God, all these other things logically flow from that. Because God is our owner, our father, and our judge, he has the rights over us, and we are accountable to him to live according to his standards. What are his standards? Well, that's what we'll look at in our next lesson. Life equals God-centered living. 
If you want to go deeper in your understanding of God and His Word, I want to encourage you to check out our resources at theologyforyou.com. That's theology, F-O-R-Y-O-U.com. I want to thank you if you have rated or reviewed this podcast on Apple iTunes. It's a way to help get this podcast in front of other people who want to grow in their faith and deepen their relationship with God. So thank you for helping other people grow in their faith by rating or reviewing this podcast. Thank you for joining us in this first lesson of our series on how to share the gospel. If you want to get the most out of this series, I'd like to encourage you to share this with someone that you know, that you can go through this series together and practice teaching these principles with one another. Together, let's make God's name famous.